Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded Executive Protection Team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Dr. Sean Michael Greener. How y'all? How y'all doing today? Thank you for joining us. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know. I'm I'm some other state. I don't even I'm another state of mind. I don't know if I'm in another state of mind. I don't know where I am, what I'm doing. I I know I'm not where I was. I'm I'm somewhere else now. I don't know where I am. No, I do know where I am. I'm just making fun. I am in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania doing the show. In an undisclosed bunker in not really a bunker in uh, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So thank you for joining us. You want to know where you've reached. You want uh, to know if you just accidentally happenstanced upon this, you have reached the collision of faith and politics with the Ninja Pastor. And we are about to rock this thing. Let me tell you what, today, my friends, today is going to be wild. Wild. I'm not kidding you. Uh, You're going to hear some things that are going to rock your world. And I apologize in advance. Because you're going to feel um, afraid. You're going gonna, gonna, gonna to be mad. You're going to be madder than a hornet today. And I'm sorry about that. You will be madder than the hornet, though. That's just, that's just reality. Um, I can't help that. I really, really can't. Uh, my job is to bring you the truth. And that's what I, that's what I aim to do. No doubt about it. Hey, today, you've joined us on a good day. Our guest today is Mr. James Simpson, Jim Simpson. He's a nationally regarded expert on refugee resettlement. And that is one of the things that you are... Um, look, you think you know, but you don't know. You don't know. Uh, I thought I knew. But I really don't even know. And I have friends. You know, Eric Stackelbeck is, you know, wrote that great book, and he's been on the show. He's going to be on again. Uh, we've talked about immigration jihad, right? We've talked about that a whole bunch of times. Folks, it, it's way worse than I even thought. Sorry to say. I am sorry to tell you it is way worse than I originally thought. And so the fact of the matter is, is, you know, if I had better news for you, then I would just be Mr. Gleeful, but I, I don't. I'm still Mr. Gleeful because I'm happy because I, I know when I check out of this world, the next world I'm checking into is that which I will be checking in for eternity, for all eternity, F-A-E. And uh, that's a better place. So, But I want to work while uh, you know, while I'm here. I want to work. I want to work until he comes, you know. 
So that's what I'm that's what I'm going to do. Hey, uh, let's see here. It is nowhere close to as bad as it will get. Man, that's for sure. Hey, you know what? We have chat open, folks. I can't see who's in chat, <laughs> but I do know uh, it's always something, man. Technology, there's always something going on. Um, but I do know that people are in chat, and it's good to see. I can see what you say when it pops up, but so hang in there and, and rock on. You know, chat is something my buddy Jerry from Pennsylvania reminds me that chat is for you guys. So we want you to enjoy uh, the dynamic dialogue. If I see any sort of swearing or whatnot, um, you know, we'll have to quickly eject you, um, you know, any of that stuff. So, but, um, so we're going to talk about, we're going to talk to Mr. Jim Simpson on refugee resettlement. Uh, this dude, I'm telling you, he's the man. If you looked at the marketing for today's show, you will see, um, he is the man. If you want to talk about this topic, this is the guy you want to hear from. Uh, internationally known guy, really, really, really on top of things. Very highly regarded all across the world. So Lady Gaga, Super Bowl. How about that? Uh, really talented young lady. She really, really, really blew my socks off. I wasn't sure what to expect. I know some people that know her. Uh, New York City. And so they always tell me that she's super, super sweet, super kind. And I know some security people that have done uh, direct work for her, different things that she's done. And they say, look, you know, you can ask for a nicer lady. Uh, Beyonce, that's that's how some of my friends call Beyonce. You know, I don't know if she remembers, but you're supposed to bring your pants. You're supposed to wear, you know, she had her fishnets, she had her garters, uh, but she didn't bring her pants. And so you got to bring your pants. That's just a little rule that I have. It's not for everybody. I don't know if everybody has that rule. Apparently, it doesn't apply to her. And oh, by the way, were you aware? Did you have any idea that that was a racially charged song? Yeah, it was. And you want to know what's funny? It was talking bad about white people. And it was all about the uh, Black Panthers. And so uh, just so you know, I'm just putting that out there just so you know. Uh, the halftime show was an absolute abysmal thing, except for that guy. What's his name? The, the um, I can't remember the dude's name. He's a little guy. He did have all his clothes on. I don't know if you know that. He had all of his clothes on. He managed to dress himself uh, completely and fully. All of his clothes, he had all of them on, and uh, that's a good thing. But Beyonce, uh, did you know that she was... Uh, well, I don't know about was, and probably is, she's into uh, Satanism, her and her husband, into Satanism. Uh, somebody told me that, somebody I really, really respect told me that, and I said, come on. So I did some research, and I did some checking, and sure enough, she is into Satanism. Uh, so yeah, there was a lot of Satanic symbolism there. There was the symbolism for the for the Black Panthers. The, her crew was all dressed in Black Panther clothes. Um, and of course the little sign they put up at the end was a, a dig at the white dominated police officers that are oppressing, uh, young black men all across America. There'd be no murder in the black community if it weren't for those darn white cops. So, uh, yeah. So I don't know what to tell you, but Lady Gaga, on the other hand, now I didn't get to see it live. Uh, I forget where I was or what I was doing, but I was, I was somewhere doing something. And I have to tell you, oh, I think I was playing with my dog outside, throwing the ball to my dog one last few times after the after the broadcast. That's where I was after the broadcast yesterday. 
uh, we did a broadcast from our home, and we had a little uh, gathering of Kehala. It was a lot of fun, and some of us stayed and watched the the Super Bowl. Uh, but my dog lays right at my feet during my show, and I'm sure today she's looking at her watch, going, "Hey, looking at her day planner, little doggy day planner, going, hey, it's um, it's Monday, it's four o'clock. I'm supposed to be laying at my daddy's feet, and where is he? Uh, so, but I'm in another location today, but." Anyhow, so we we came in and just we just just missed it, just missed it. So I watched it back, and I have to tell you, Lady Gaga did a phenomenal job. And all the people that I know that know her, um, and some of them know her really, really, really well, and they've all said the same thing. You couldn't ask for a nicer person. Extraordinarily well prepared when she comes to work. Uh, she's extremely kind and nice to people. Uh, you know, all that weird, crazy stuff. It's funny because she, when she first came out, you know, she wrote a lot of songs. You don't even know because they're under her real name. Uh, but a lot of big hit songs and people knew her. Uh, they didn't really know her, but they, they knew her work as a songwriter, but they didn't know her work as a dancer and entertainer. And so she just wasn't getting any getting any traction. So she said, hey, you know what? I'm going to do some marketing. So she did. And she was a huge hit. Huge hit. Not my cup of tea, that whole big deal, but she said that when she was asked to sing the national anthem, she was honored, and that it's not about all the flash and all that stuff, and she decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually sing. I'm going to sing like I know I can sing, and, and boy, did she. What a great, great job. All across America, people are talking about that. She was wearing red, white, and blue, which I loved, big red outfit, you know, and blue fingernails on the one, red fingernails on the other. They were very tastefully done. She had the eyeshadow. The whole deal. I mean, she she really did a phenomenal job, and even her interviews afterwards, very very tasteful, and and I was really impressed. And you know what I really liked about that? I'll tell you what. The singing was awesome. I'm into singing a little bit. The singing was awesome, but let me tell you what I liked the best. I liked this the best. I mean, I liked her patriotism. I liked that she knew. You talk about a pro. She knew uh, when they were going to cut to the soldiers, and she knew exactly when the jets were going to fly over and they asked they you know she was asked in the post interview hey why did you turn around and she said when are you going to get to see what was it the uh, blue angels flying over and you know i wanted to see the soldiers too so she wanted to look at the big screen and it was kind of cool she did not lip sync it she actually sang it live and then of course those jets flying over that naval aviation man whoo Got to love it. Got to love it. So Lady Gaga was awesome. Uh, I really dug what she did there. And uh, she's doing some great work, and I'm, I'm glad for it. Now, that brings us to Cam Newton. Boy, there are some haters coming out on Cam Newton today. It is rough. My boy is taking a beating. Let me just let me dispel some things. My son, uh, A1 son, he uh, he is so knowledgeable when it comes to sports, especially football. He really, really does know a lot about football. He knows a lot about different sports, but football, he really, that's his thing. And so, you know, he really corrected me. I used to not like Cam Newton. I didn't like him. I thought, hey, he's too brash. He's too showy. I don't like all that business, and I didn't like the business with it when his um, his dad and all that mess with, what was it, Auburn? You know, it was just a bunch of mess. It was It was tacky and brash. I didn't like it. So, anyway, all that said to say this, that, you know, you can't help what your daddy do. And so, um, he he has really been working on himself. And 
I think that's awesome. I think it's a, a great thing that he's been working on himself, and he's been doing a great job. Hey, this is a, this is a kid who, and remember, he's a kid. He's early 20s. He's a kid. He may be 255 pounds and, what, 6'5", giant, but uh, and super tough, but you know what? He's a kid. And people said, well, you know, you, you do the comparison between Peyton Manning and, and you, you look at Calm Newton, and I have to say, I, you know, he could learn a lot from Peyton Manning. Hey, here's a newsflash here, Mr. Smart News Guy. So could everybody. Peyton Manning's been in the in the league for, what is it, 20 years now? Come on. The guy's got a lot of maturity because he had a he had a whole different life coming up than Cam Newton had. Have you seen Cam Newton's father? He's he's a weirdo. He's he's this dude is off the rails. So you have all that, the guy's got all that going on, and then on top of that, on top of that, you've got all the challenges that come with growing up where he grew up and how he grew up, and then you've got all the challenges of this is a super talented kid. A physical specimen, no doubt, but a super talented kid. And you've got everybody telling you how great you are. And, uh, you know, it's just, there's a lot going on in this kid's life, right? But he had a grandma and an aunt who really witnessed to him and powerfully testified uh, into his life, invested in his life. And his faith in God is super strong. Go ahead and Google uh, his testimony. You'll be in tears by the time you finish watching. You say, "Well, then, if you know, fruit of it." My son was telling me about. Um, he was telling me. By the way, we have, a, we have a stand-in for Taco Tony today, a live Taco Tony today, um, and uh, my son is, you know, he's in the the other location, and I'm in the other other location. So we have a stand-in Taco Tony today, and Taco Jerry, if you will, and so, but my son, he he's active on the, I guess the blogs or whatever you call them, bulletin boards. And there was a Christian girl throwing rocks at, at, uh, at Cam Newton because, you know, well, that's, you know, you know, by the fruit of his spirit, you know, we admire Peyton because he, you know, he's such a great Christian testimony. And then people are, you know, they're really super Christians. The ones I talk about in my book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, available at theninjapastor.com. TheNinjaPastor.com, Excellence Killed the Church, How Media Offers Joining America. And that, I talk about, uh, you know, the super Christians, that, you know, your haircut's got to be just right, you've got to wear everything, you've got to do everything just right. And then now they're flipping out, they're going all apoplectic over uh, Peyton Manning saying, I'm going to drink a lot of beers. I'm going to drink a lot of beers, a lot of Budweiser, he said. There you go, Budweiser's going to... Not pay me like they didn't pay him. Everybody said, oh, he must have gotten millions of dollars for that. That's why he said it. No, he didn't get paid a dime. Budweiser themselves said, hey, wow, we were as surprised as you were. Thanks for the shout out. Not that they need it. Anyway, the point of the whole thing is, is look, you can't you can't go all apoplectic. They're doing this in the political climate, too. You know, uh, the guy does one thing and people lose their mind. They say, oh, you know, he's. He's a rhino. He's this. He's that. Now there's certain things that are not negotiable, but you know what? If you have a 900 thing list of not negotiable things, guess what's going to happen? You're not going to be able to vote for anybody because until Yeshua, Jesus to you and everybody else, but Yeshua, uh, until he decides to run for office, oh wait, he's already in office. He's the king. Uh, but if he did decide to lower himself and run for the president of the United States of America. 
he'd be the only perfect candidate we've ever had. So you feeling my vibe here? So, you know, politicians are not perfect. That's just all there is to it. And it's a tough, tough thing. Having covered, protected, I mean, other politicians, um, I can tell you it's it's rough. It's a lot rougher thing than people think. Anyway, that's a whole different show. Anyway, the, the point of the matter is is the interview with Cam Newton. They said, you know, he's doing his dad thing, and he's so showy, and he's, you know, so brash and arrogant and braggadocious and all these things. You know, now he's been humbled. And then, of course, he walked out of the interview. He answered the questions. Uh, but then the questions started repeating. There was some other stuff going on. So he decided, you know what, I'm not going to hang around for this interview. And he didn't make a big scene. He just quietly left. Do I agree with it? No. I agree with Stephen A. today that uh, Stephen A. Smith is is really a sharp guy. I agree with him on a lot of things. And uh, on on his show, and I forget the other guy's name. If my son was here, he would tell me like he knows, he reads my mind. Uh, I forget the other guy's name, but really, really good. They have a great show that they do on ESPN. And um, on that show, they talked about him, what he did. And, and they said, you know, he shouldn't have done it. You know, you, you've got to step up and be the man. You want to lead the team? Guess what? You take one for the team. You got your butt handed to you. And you want to be the brash guy and do the big celebrations and all that stuff? By the way, I found out that uh, they pay $10,000. Every time he hands a football into the stands, he pays $10,000 to the NFL. He has to. It's a rule. It's some sort of rule, and it's it's a fine. You get fined $10,000. So, But he totally thinks it's worth it, and every time he does that, he meets with those people afterwards. He makes arrangements to meet with them, and he signs the football for them, gets pictures made with them and everything. It's awesome. So you think this guy's a horrible guy because he's brash and he's this and he's that. You know what? I have to say to you, you got to look at the whole picture. The guy's come a long way. Yes, he's got a long way to go, don't we all? You know, if I said things at 23 or 25 years old, and I'm 50 now, good lands. You, you want to continue holding against me uh, what I did or what I said at 50 or at 25, and now at 50, you're going to, well, that's what he is. He's immature. Well, I was immature. I was immature. Come on. We all were. This kid is dealing with a whole different deal. I'm not saying that's a pass, but he's learning, and he'll mature. And if he can keep from getting injured, he doesn't. He doesn't use a mouthpiece. Which you ever see a smile? He's got like a fifteen million dollar smile. You'd think he'd wear a mouthpiece. You know what? He doesn't like it. Doesn't like it. Doesn't want to wear it. So uh, he's um, anyway. So that's what it is. Uh, welcome to our folks in chat again. Welcome to our Ohio representatives. We're glad to have you. Um, anyway, so what should Cam Newton might should have said? This is this is what Southern folks say. What Cam Newton might should have said. And this is just me. This is just me saying this. I'm not throwing rocks at the dude either. Like I say, he's got some learning to do. He's got some maturing to do. Peyton Manning's, you know, 40 years old. He's already he's already matured. You know, he's he's already been there lots of times. He just he just made a mistake. He just made a a bad choice. Uh, and and that's what it is. You know, and that's what it is. We should take it a little bit easier on the guy. Well, I'll tell you what else too. Let me just say this. The guy, you know, people lost their minds over the whole black quarterback. People are afraid of black quarterback. So they went off on him because, oh, now he's bringing the race card. But my son, uh, A1 son, he told me, Dad, you've got to listen to the whole interview. You've got to listen to the question. You've got to li-. And I'm always talking about this, you know. Let's, let's, let's get the context. 
let's get the context. Got to have the context here. So I did, and I listened to the whole thing, and I was like, wow. Actually, that's not as bad as I thought it was. In fact, it's not bad at all. It is, in fact, it's a very reasonable statement, what he said. And he was asked to clarify it and all this stuff because people went apoplectic over it in the press. You know, that if it, lead, if it bleeds, it leads. So they, you know, they went off on it, and, and it led a lot of, uh, it just led a lot of stuff. So anyway, um, one of the Broncos, and Steve from Ohio is saying, one of the Broncos' defensive backs had an interview right next to him, and it got in Cam's head. You're absolutely right. The young guy, um, you know, he's making his way. Anyway, enough of that. Here's what I think Cam Newton might should have said. Thank you for coming today. I really appreciate you coming. You know, it was such an honor to play in Super Bowl 50. What an honor to be with these men that on both sides of the of the of the field that um, you know, what an honor to be part of this. It's such a early point in my career to be in the Super Bowl is just amazing. And I'll tell you, I'm a guy who loves to win. I love to win. I work really hard so that I can win. And the rest of my team, they work really hard so they can win. You know what? We did a lot of winning this year. We won an awful lot. But you know what? It all comes down to how we're measured is what do we do in this game? doesn't matter what we did in the other games. This game, the biggest game in the world, Super Bowl, Super Bowl 50. Well, I have to tell you, I and my team, we didn't do so great. And you know what? Denver... Wow. That defense is number one for a reason. They swarmed me and threw me to the ground. I'll tell you right now, I feel like I've been in a car wreck. They threw, I was on the ground. Would I have liked to have seen some flags thrown a little bit? You know, these late hits getting thrown to the ground. Yeah. Did it change the game? Nah. 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 We might have gotten some good calls too that maybe we got a break. But bottom line is, you know what? I'm sore. And I'm going to be sore for a week because these guys really handed it to me. But you know what? I'm young. I can take it. I'm going to heal up. You know, we're going to be in great shape next year. We're going to get back after it. Uh, what questions do you have? And then just, you know, because they have contracts. I don't know if you guys know this, but they have contracts. They have to honor their contract. They have to do certain amount of interview, interviews. Marshawn Lynch got less money because he would not do interviews, press interviews. He just retired, by the way. Happy retirement. Not a guy I particularly enjoyed... But whatever. But he didn't want to do interviews. He said, I'm a football player. I'm not a not a press guy. I don't like doing interviews, period. And and kind of got him more intention, didn't it? So, you know, if I were Cam, I'd say, you know, uh, how about I take five questions? Would that be all right? And we'll start over here. And then boom, 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 you know, work our way down. Whatever the number is, whatever the minimum number is he's got to take. I don't know. I, what do I know? You know, I'm not, a, I'm not an NFL football player. And then say question number one is, can you put into words how this feels for you? And I would just look at the guy and go, really? You know there's going to be five questions you can ask me that? How do you think it feels? Let me ask you. Let me flip it back to you. How do you think I feel right now? How do you think I feel? I've already told you my body feels like I've been in a car crash without a seatbelt. No matter how big I am, no matter how strong I am, I'm, they beat me down. They put it on me. And kudos to them, Denver Broncos, you guys are awesome. Uh, you know what? We could have played better. I wish we'd have given you a better game. Seemed like we were just trying to stay alive for much of the game, but you know what? It is what it is, and, uh, you know, 
this is a big boy's game. This is what happens. So, yeah, okay, that wouldn't have been the question that I would have asked, but I'll just tell you how I feel. I feel awful. I feel sick to my stomach. I, you know, I didn't come here to get beat like that. Yeah, okay, the score wasn't horrible, but I didn't come here to get beat at all. I came here to win. You know what? I love handing footballs out to little kids in the end zone. I really wanted to do that in, in a Super Bowl. You know, the whole dab thing, you know, people make a big deal of how I dab. They do that little move, little move I do. But you know what? I don't think I'm Superman, but that's part of the game. Just part of the game. Just how it is. It's just what it is. And you know what? This particular time, this game, probably the worst timing ever, I didn't have my best game. I did not have my best game. I I struggled. I I didn't I didn't I didn't do the best that I could do. I'm sure my team would agree. You know, when your quarterback's on the ground getting the getting the heck beat out of him. Hey, you know what? <laughs> Ray Lewis. This is I'm quoting Ray Lewis here. Ray Lewis, remember Ray Lewis from the um the the uh Baltimore Ravens? He's he said, I got the black beat off of me. <laughs> they beat the black off of me. I thought, oh man, only Ray Lewis could get away with that. But anyway, so so Cam Newton says, you know, this is what he should say. Is this is me talking here? If I were Cam, yeah, they they beat me up, and so you know what? None of us had a great game. So I feel terrible. You know, I feel terrible. I'm gonna feel ter- feel terrible. And um, there are worse things in the world. You know, I, I've been blessed to be able to play this game for so long. I'm blessed to be paid to do it, and the endorsements and all these things, and the things that I can do with my foundation now because of this I have, and God's been good to me and better than I deserve. And so, yeah, I'm, no, I don't like losing. And no, I don't like being in such pain, but you know what? I'll heal up. I'm young. I'll heal. Next question. Um, yes, uh, Cam Newton, quarterback of the Carolina Panthers, uh, just lost the Super Bowl, got the heck beat out of you. Uh, so tell me, how do you feel right now? Uh, you just used up a question to ask the same question as the first guy. Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, I just really want you to go a little deeper. Well, I went as deep as I'm going to go. Next question. Uh, Cam, what do you think happened? You, 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 you're usually not on the carpet like that. Uh, what, what do you think happened? Um, they got past our front line and our ends, and um, they got to me and they grabbed me. I don't know if you watched, guys, but uh, they threw me to the ground. One time or a couple times, they knocked the ball out of my hand. Boy, did that suck. One time, it ended up being a touchdown. Whew, not good. Not good. That's what happened. I don't know. It may. You might want to... Did you DVR this game? Because that's what happened in the game. I don't know if you were paying attention, but uh, you're the journalist. What do I know? Next question. Uh, yes, uh, Cam. Um, I'm here from the Rainbow Coalition, and I'm just saying, do you feel like this happened because... The white guy on the other team, he uh, he was just being a racist. And, you know, do you feel like because you were a black quarterback and then he would stop him? If Cam Newton was doing doing uh, you know doing what he should do, he would say, come on, you've just used up question number three, question number four. What are we on? That's ridiculous. Well, uh, you brought up the race card. No, I didn't. You know, no, I didn't. I didn't bring up the race card. Peyton Manning is an extraordinary quarterback. He's an extraordinary human being. I'm honored that God would give me the opportunity to be able 
to uh, to be able to play this game is just extraordinary. And to be able to play in the Super Bowl against Peyton Manning, are you kidding me? What a blessing. What a blessing God's given me. And I'm you know what? I'm I'm just thankful for that. And and you know, kudos to him. If he retires, great. If he doesn't, man, I look forward to playing against him again. Never know. We might end up back here next year. We'll certainly try for that. Okay, guys. Hey, thanks a lot. I got to go get in the ice because did I mention they beat me to death? They threw me to the ground. They, you know, I, I mean, I was, I'm sore. I'm already sore. You know how it is. A couple days later, you're even worse. And it's a good thing I'm black because the bruise is on me. Hey, did you guys see? I don't even remember what team. Doyle showed me a picture. My son showed me a picture today of a player who had just had surgery. Pretty serious surgery on his arm. And they showed his arm post game. I mean, he's got these huge and it's gruesome. It's just gruesome, this injury. And he played in the game. So anyway, I would have thanked them and, and thanked America. I would have used that opportunity to say, America, thank you so much uh, for listening or watching the game. Thank you for, for coming if you were able to be here. Um, you know, but uh, there's bigger bigger things to do. And, and uh, you know, congratulations to the Denver Broncos. Boy, you guys, you guys brought it, the whole organization. And you know what? Congratulations to the Carolina Panthers. You know, congratulations to the coach and, and the the front office, the back office, everybody. You all worked really hard to to bring us this opportunity. Then it'd have been done. I'd have finished, and I'd said, "Thank you very much. I got to go to the ice." You know, you know, I got to get get on ice. I just gotta gotta get on ice. I'm hurt. I'm sore. So, hey, my buddy Jerry from Pennsylvania, he passed along the following uh, really powerful facts about Islam. And until we get uh, until we get our interview on, which I'm super excited about, we uh, I want to share something with you. Um, you know, Islam is just so helpful to everything. I know you're all thinking that, right? Islam, really, really, really great thing to have in the world. They're really super easy to integrate into our society. You know, they really look to, hey, we want to get plugged in. We want to be. We want to be just super, we want to be just a part of what you do uh, here in America, and we want to contribute, and, you know, we're just, we're just thankful. We're just very, very thankful to be here, and, you know, gosh, you guys have been so nice to us, and wonderful, just wonderful. Boy, how lucky we are. You guys are just opening the floodgates, giving us jobs, giving us money until we get jobs. It's just wonderful. Boy, it just couldn't be better. Couldn't be better. Well, here's a quick fact. We're ready to link up with uh, with our great guest. Uh, Jim is just, I'm so excited to be sharing the, uh, sharing the airwaves with this guy. So Islamabad writer Dr. Farouk Salim pointed out in 2005 indisputable facts about the Islamic world. Combined, 57 Islamic countries are the world's poorest and most illiterate. The GDP of 57 Muslim countries is less than $2 trillion. Muslims comprise roughly 22% of the world's population, but only produce less than 5% of global GDP. Hello. 20% of Arabs live on less than $2 per day. The average growth rate of per capita income of the Arab world hovers around 0.5% per year. That's worse than everywhere except for sub-Saharan Africa. 60% of Muslims worldwide are illiterate. That means they can't read. 50% of Arab women cannot read. Dr. Javed Lakari adds that 40% of the Muslim state's population falls 
below the poverty line. These 57 Islamic countries contribute to the contribute the least to scientific and technological advancement. Hold on a second. Let alone have computers or use the internet. Hang on a second. Only two Muslims in in over 105 years have ever won the Nobel Peace Prize. They studied physics and chemistry in Italy, the UK, and California. Only eight Muslims are Nobel laureates. Of the entire Arab population, only 1% has a personal computer. Only 0.5% use the Internet. Anyway, my point is, my point is, and we'll, we'll talk more about that uh, in a little bit, but my point is here, your president, Barack Hussein Obama, is the guy who, oddly enough, I mean, you know, hey, listen, NASA, you don't have to do the whole rocket thing and the space thing. What you really need to do is we need you to study the great contributions that Islam has made to the United States over all of history. That's that's your mission. That's what we want you to do. And you know what? That's crazy talk. That's just crazy talk, you know? So, you know, folks, here's what I... Uh, Here's what I propose to you. While we have our, our, our guest on, I want you to be thinking about this. I really want you to think about this. How much, you know, we talk about refugee resettlement, and I, I use the term immigration jihad, but the expert, the world expert on this is Jim Simpson, the guy that's about to be on the, on the, on the uh, mic, rocking the mic with me. Well, who is he? A lot of you know who he is because you read uh, Jim Simpson uh, is an investigative journalist. He's a businessman. He's a former economist and budget examiner for the White House. Um, it, look, folks, that's a big deal. Since '95, he's written nonfiction articles for various periodicals based both on his experiences in government and in business and a longstanding avocation in public policy. Mr. Simpson is widely sought as a speaker on immigration and refugee resettlement. He's published four books, The Red-Green Axis, which I got to take a look at today. Wow. We're going to talk about that. Refugees, Immigration, and the Agenda to Erase America, Casa de Maryland. Well, that's controversial. A case study in the subversion and corruption at the highest levels, red unions, how and why big labor leaders betray their nation. Oof. Ouch. I talk about that in my book, too. That's why the unions, they don't like Dr. Sean the Ninja Pasta. They don't like him. The Patriot's Handbook, A Practical Guide to Restoring Liberty. Man, that's going to rock. You know that's going to rock. And he's writing a book now called The Onion Conspiracy. It's due out from WorldNet Daily Books in 2016. Mr. Simpson's work on the Cloward Piven, we've talked about that a gazillion times, manufactured crisis strategy, provided the background for Glenn Beck. You've heard of that guy. Groundbreaking TV series, uh, his groundbreaking TV series on the subject, and he's been discussed Widely on talk radio, where Mr. Simpson is also a free, frequent guest. He was also featured, by the way, in an award-winning uh, documentary, Agenda, Grinding America Down, and the latest Agenda 2, Masters of De Deceit. And a buddy of mine, he's featured in a buddy of mine's upcoming documentary. You all know Trevor Loudon. I mean, he's the, he's awesome. The enemy's within. Um, Trevor's a great guy. So if Trevor... If Trevor Loudon, the uh, I've coined the nickname the Genius Baker, if Trevor Loudon thinks this guy is awesome, then I think this guy is awesome. So welcome, Jim. You go by Jim or James? Which do you like? Jim. Jim is great. Thanks awesome. for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. We're excited to have you on. Looking forward to it. 
And uh, so, you know, I talk a lot about immigration jihad. I talk a lot about the fake refugee crisis. And, you know, I give some stuff. But you're clearly the expert. You're clearly the guy who, um, if we want to know really important stuff on this topic, then Jim Simpson's the guy that we talk to. Well, that's very nice and very flattering, but I would say that Center for Immigration Studies, Numbers USA, and other groups have also done a lot of you know, very serious work on it. My good friend Ann Corcoran is the real yeah. expert. She's been doing this since 2007 and basically is the one who brought the entire issue to public attention. It's really her her effort and her... Uh, her book, which calls the Hijra to America, um, that really spiked my interest in it. Hmm. So, yep. what did she say that particularly stuck out to you? What was you know your your listening, reading, however you came across the information? What did well, what did she say it, that that got you? No, no, no one thing. It just the the sum total of all of her various posts. Um, Really, I mean, all, all of her posts are impressive. She, like, aggregates a lot of news stories, but she digs up stuff that nobody's ever heard about. And, um, you know, compelling is her personal story about her uh, experience with the refugee resettlement program, which got her interested in the whole thing in the first place. They were planning on settling, I think, 200 um uh, uh, Muslims uh, from, I think, Burma uh, in Hagerstown, Maryland, which is a small town, and right near where she lives. And uh, uh, she was like, "Well, wait a minute. Wh- whoever gave them permission to do that? What, you know, wh- where did this come from? You know, there was no f- prior warning or anything." So she went to a public hearing about it and just started asking questions and. Uh, the resettlement uh, contractor, I believe, was Church World Service, uh, decided that discretion was the better part of valor, and they hightailed it out of there and found a different hold, place hold to up, resettle hold the up. refugees. Jim, yep, yep. Jim, you just yep. you just you just used a term. Mm-hmm. You just used a term. I think I think America needs to know what that term is. Did you just say resettlement contractor? Oh yeah. <laughs> Hmm. Perhaps you should tell us what resettlement contractors... All right, well, let's just start from the beginning. First of all, refugee resettlement is nothing like what the public, at least uh, the uninitiated public, perceives it to be. You know, we think of refugee resettlement as our country reaching out to a family or an individual who is in dire straits, uh, oppressed by his government, faces uh, life-and-death situations, needs to find a different place to live now. That's really more appropriate to the asylum program in terms of definitions, but that's the way people think about it. The reality of it is that the United States government has an annual quota of refugees that they are allowed to resettle in the United States it's been as high as 200,000 a year uh, up until this year, up until uh, 2016. Yeah, it was 
70,000, and Obama increased it to 85,000 so that he could continue bringing in the 70,000 we had before, and then an additional 10,000 Syrians and, oh, just another 5,000 from anywhere just uh, just for yucks. And so um, this is an immigration program, and many of the refugees, some of the refugees are legitimately, you could legitimately call them refugees, many of them, are just people who have gotten into the refugee stream, figured out how to fill out refugee paperwork and turned it in and have applied, and that's their way of getting into the United States. Um, It is nothing like, uh, uh, and and it is not managed by charities. The... um, Churches, the big perception is that church groups and nonprofits um, use charitable contributions to help uh, assist refugees in resettling to the United States. But nothing could be further from the truth. The uh, refugee contractors, which I alluded to, there's nine uh, main uh, refugee contractors and about 350 subcontractors. Six of the nine contractors are uh, religious or at least have a religious name, like, for example, Church World Service, Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, Lutheran Immigration and Immigrant and Refugee Services, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, uh, Episcopal Migration Ministries. These all have, uh, you know, uh, church connotations, but they're resettlement contractors they earn about at this point when you include the unaccompanied alien children that came in last year and that are coming in at a even greater rate this year they make about two billion dollars a year that's two that's billion with a b uh split between the nine of them every year to resettle refugees who gives them Uh, that money uh, oh we do the United States taxpayer, through the federal government, through the uh, State Department, uh, and through the Health and Human Services Office of Refugee Resettlement. And not only that, but refugees are promised promised a laundry list of uh, benefits for coming into uh, uh, once they're resettled, they're promised uh, uh, housing, uh, income, uh, assistance with finding a job, um, uh, food stamps, and the resettlement contractors, their main job is to pick a location for refugees to be resettled, say, for example, Manchester, New Hampshire, or uh, Hagerstown, Maryland, and uh, <clears throat> once they've chosen that site, um, they resettle the refugee there, and then they assist them in getting signed up for all kinds of welfare benefits. And in the refugees get that assistance immediately, and in some places where the refugee populations have been swelling because 
They're a popular resettlement site. For example, in Portland, Maine, uh, American citizens are being thrown out onto the street because there's not enough public housing to house all the refugees that are coming and uh, the U.S. citizens that qualify for public housing at the same time. So, uh, so, so tell yeah, me why, ahead. again, tell our audience why, again, um, why would a municipality, and we'll just break it down to the lower level, yeah, yeah. why would a municipality say, hey, you know what we need more of? You know what we'd like more of? We'd like more refugees. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, <clears throat> there's a couple of answers to that question. Those that do do so because they see a pecuniary uh, benefit. Um, uh, certain certain towns have um, looked for refugees because, for example, there's a creaky old manufacturing facility that's not been able to hire an adequate number of Americans to do the job at the price that they want to pay, so they bring in refugees who are more than willing to work at, at a wage much lower than than Americans. So, you know, for example, you get uh, a, a meat packing plant that has that needs a thousand assembly workers who will pack it in, you know, plastic wrap or, you know, whatever. Uh, <clears throat> Americans might want to get 12 or 14 or 15 dollars an hour for that. And the refugee would be thrilled to get uh, eight or ten dollars an hour for that, because you know they're coming from uh, places where there was no plumbing, no running water, and they maybe made two dollars a month or something. You know, just a completely different uh, set of circumstances. And so, for the town, it looks like a win. For the refugees, it looks like looks like a win. For the um, <clears throat> Uh, uh, for the manufacturer, it certainly looks like a win. And, of course, for the refugee contractor, it's a win. However, what most people don't realize is that, you know, when those refugees are getting that lower level of income, in many cases, they still qualify for uh, welfare benefits. You know, they come in as a family and uh, the head of the household is making eight or ten dollars an hour. They're still going to qualify for a whole bunch of welfare benefits. So instead of paying Americans a rate which is self-supporting, they pay the refugees a lower rate, and the welfare system kicks in the difference. Mm -hmm. So we wind up getting hosed either way, right? Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. wind up paying the difference. So really, it's a form of crony capitalism. But it's not recognized as that because <clears throat> you know there's no money changing hands between the government and the manufacturer to bring these people in here, and so and then things things start to get a little dicey because okay a lot of these people don't speak English they have no interest in assimilation uh, they send their kids to school the kids need to learn English which means that they need to get teachers to teach them English. And in many um, communities, that's become a, a huge burden. In Manchester, New Hampshire, the high school, um, <clears throat> there are people speaking 82 different languages in the high school in Manchester, hmm. New Hampshire. In Lewiston, Maine, they speak uh, something like 40 different languages, 
and the English as a second language uh, budget, they call it English language learners in Maine, uh, the ELL budget has increased 4,000% since the year 2000, and 25% of the student body does not speak English in Lewiston, Maine. So in Lewiston, Maine, i got to bring this up just because it's it just, you know, when you, the more you talk, the matter I get. Uh, no offense to you, but, you know, this is information. Um, yeah. The folks in Lewiston, Maine, what do they – because, you know, after a while you start to notice. Because my buddy, I have, a, I have a buddy in Ohio who he's a, uh, he's a nurse. He's an EMT and a nurse. And he says the cleaning guy in the ER is a refugee from Burundi. And he says, hey, you know what? This guy's saying that he gets to vote in the upcoming election. And he's saying that the other people, they have people from Nepal that are there. They come here. They get on state health care and uh, welfare right away, just like you said. Mm -hmm. Then the next thing they do is they go into the ER and they want a full workup because they they don't get health care where they come from. Right. Sure. Sure. So so people got to notice this. I mean, what do the people in Lewiston, Maine say? all this they got to notice oh oh, they notice they they notice um you know you have to remember a lot of those um benefits that those refugees get are paid by the federal government and there's also a state component so for example (coughs) medicaid medicare the state winds up getting saddled with about 50 percent of the cost Mm -hmm. of their of their health care and uh, refugees, for the first eight months they're here, have something, a special thing called refugee medical assistance, which, uh, if they qualify, uh, is just for them the exact same as, as Medicaid. They get free everything. Mm-hmm. And um, Lewiston, it, it's very interesting. Uh, I know a person on the State Board of Education, and that person told me that this year, Lewiston uh, schools were told they were getting 300 more uh, students that didn't speak English. And when he had to explain this to all of the ELL teachers, the director of the ELL program just broke down and started crying because Mm. they just had no way of of managing that kind of thing. Now, on the other hand, uh, you talk to the city manager, he thinks it's wonderful that the – Somalis are coming because he, it's it's what the UN calls replacement migration. The city of Lewiston is getting old, and it's not um, you know replacing its younger people, um, and so the population of uh, traditional, uh, long-time Lewiston citizens is declining, and they say that they need. Uh, populations to come in and uh, take the places and take the jobs that, you know, the older people are retiring from and they can't find replacements for. Well, mm. now, you know, that's uh, that, that's all very well and good, but that is typically a, a typically naive and ignorant uh, thing for a liberal uh, city manager to say, because if you know how to manage public policy, you can create tax incentives and other incentives that will bring businesses and employees flooding into your city. All you have to do is create the the fertile grounds for it, and there's a number of cities that have done that that prove that that's the case, but 
these guys just find, well, let's just bring in a bunch of Somalis. Let's just bring in or, or let's use this. And so, um, you know, it's a, it's a uh, solution in search of a problem, really. And uh, it's a solution that comes with its own problems. Uh, I visited Lewiston, Maine in, uh, uh, I think it was 2009, and talked with some of the citizens there. They said that the new Somali uh, uh, um, residents were um, making chicken coops in their kitchen cabinets. Hmm. Uh, uh, They were slaughtering goats in their kitchen and throwing the carcass in the backyard. Nice. Uh, They would uh, call an ambulance uh, complaining of some kind of back pain. The ambulance would come. They'd get a ride down into town. The minute they got downtown, their back pain suddenly vanished, and, uh, and they just walked off to wherever it was they were intending on going. Uh, they got a free taxi ride from the emergency ambulance system. Hmm. Um, uh, another thing that, that suggests uh, collusion with the Volags, the, 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 the resettlement contractors, or with some of the other universe of other nonprofits that assist refugees and get grants from the government and private organizations to do so, um, is a situation in Portland where um, Somalis were having a difficult time passing the driver's test. And uh, so what happened when one Somali flunked the driver's test, uh, he began a letter-writing campaign complaining by name about the uh, inspector who, who, uh, you know, who, who, who flunked him. And, of course, always in the background is the overtones of racism and xenophobia and all that stuff. And so, uh, of course, the inspectors got the message loud and clear, you know, you don't want to get burned just because you flunk a Somali. So now none of the Somalis flunk. Well, uh, that's always good to have <laughs> Somalis who barely speak English to... Um, drive when they're not good enough drivers to pass the test let's just go ahead and just pass them through here's a here's a question maybe i'm just being silly old me you know i grew up in a in a one of the three counties in the state of delaware the southernmost county so maybe i'm just not that smart but wouldn't it be less expensive and wouldn't it render a better uh a better result of citizen if instead of doing this refugee resettlement business and the whole somali mess uh wouldn't it be better if they did some advertising uh for hey you know what you want to come somewhere great lewiston maine great place lots of snow if you like snow but but it's a really nice place you can come live here there's lots of housing and you know what our folks are getting old so they're leaving jobs we need people to fill so maybe you come from other parts of the country here in the u.s where maybe you can't find a job and you come here, and you know what? We're going to give you a job. We're going to give you a nice place to live. You're going to love it. This is going to be super. Well, I'll tell you, you know, the other thing that I said that I meant to say and, and got carried away in that one conversation, um, most of the time, 
And that there are times when local um, communities and even state governments uh, look for refugees, and you can be almost certain there is a chamber of commerce or manufacturers uh, hand in there, probably with a lot of with a lot of donation dollars changing hands uh, to boot to um, to to spur those politicians to support refugee resettlement because it brings in a whole host of problems. But in most cases, local communities are not told. Mm-hmm. They're not told at all. The, uh, the law requires um, the resettlement contractor and the State Department to alert a community, um, consult with the community before uh, uh, refugees are placed in those communities, but they have not done so at all. And for the last 30 years, uh, nobody's really called them on it. But now, as the problems are becoming impossible to overlook, uh, our voice is getting very loud. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're saying, uh, no, you have to follow the law here. And there's actually... Um, some state laws being applied around different states that specifically demand that the uh, resettlement contractors and the State Department follow the law. Uh, uh, and, uh, and so hopefully that will do something at least. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the law was initially... It was passed in 1980. The 1980 Refugee Act was written by Teddy Kennedy with help from Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, and Teddy Kennedy is probably more than any other person in this country singularly responsible for the creation of the monstrosity we call our immigration system today. And mm-hmm. his, his, uh, uh, his goal... <clears throat> was to turn the immigration system from one where we let limited numbers of people from the world come in when it served our need, for example, for, you know, for, 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 for economic reasons, and they could bring in skills that we were looking for, uh, things like that, to a system that opened the door to the third world so that they could import needy, ignorant voters, people who would automatically gravitate to the Democratic Party to increase their voting base. And President Obama has taken that agenda, and he's, you know, blown it up to the max. Hmm. Hmm. You just said something there. Hey, folks, uh, I'm going to give you – hey, if you're willing, uh, Jim, to stay on with us a little bit, we got to go to commercial, give you a chance to get something to drink. And, uh, folks, stay with us. We'll be right back with Jim Simpson. This is some rocking stuff. And trust me, I've read his work. It gets worse. Hang on with us. We'll be right back to you. Hey, happy warriors. This is the Ninja Pastor here. Listen – keepers of the republic, people who care about the future of this country, if that's you, and you're not the you that just wants to talk about it, just do Facebook posts, just do Twitter, but, I mean, you really want to do something, you really want to make a difference, 
you're called a keeper of the republic. Our founders clearly detailed that we, the people, would keep our republic if we participated in our own governance. Self-governance, let me tell you what, requires education, participation, sacrifice, and determination, and the belief that you can make a difference. Look, you got to do something, but what is something? As I said, Facebook posts, they won't save the republic. Neither will rallies or voter drives. It goes way deeper. And if you truly want to do something of value that is also effective, the question is, are you willing? Listen, you can go to centerforselfgovernance.com or you can go to facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. There's a link there uh, for a center of self-governance. All you do is click there. While you're there at facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio, click on like and sign up. And you'll have all these Dr. links Sean Greener, uh, the Ninja Pastor immediately available to you, super, super easy. You and I can help arrange courses for you in the Northeast and elsewhere. you got to do it. You say, i got to do something. I want to do something. This is the something. This is the something really big. This is the secret sauce. you got to ask yourself some tough questions. Do you really have what it takes? Do you really have what it takes to help save this country? Do you really want to save the country? Have you given up already? Then here's the really, really tough question. Am I worth the blood and treasure already sacrificed for liberty and freedom? Am I worth the acres of crosses in Arlington, Virginia, and towns across America? Soldiers who gave everything, committed everything to our freedom. How do you do it? Go to my Facebook page, facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio, and then click on the link to this, Center for Self-Governance. It'll be right there. You want to do something? This is your something. Hey, listeners, let me tell you something really quick. Listen, if you own a gun, not even if you carry a gun, not even if you have a concealed carry permit, but if you own a gun, you need to listen up. You need to get a pen, you need to get paper, something. You need to click into your notes and your smartphone and, and take this number down. First of all, the first number is 20630. Don't worry, I'll repeat it. 20630. Listen, you have the right to defend yourself and your loved ones and your home. All of that stuff is true. You know it is. But the moment you pull the trigger or pull your gun, you are at risk for devastating legal and financial consequences. You know, you can be arrested. You can be jailed. You can be sued. You can be fired. You can be bankrupted. Even when you've legally and justifiably used a gun in self-defense. Listen, you don't have to let this happen to you. Just call Second Call Defense. That number you want is 20630. Listen, it's going to get you a whole month free. 20630. I'll give you the number in a second. You're going to enjoy, listen, when you become a member, you're going to enjoy peace of mind of having immediate and comprehensive legal and financial protection at your fingertips the moment you pull your gun, the moment you pull the trigger, no matter where you are in the United States. You just make two calls. Your first call should always be to 911 to request an ambulance and law enforcement. And listen, we'll tell you exactly what to do, what to say, how to say it. Your second call should be to second call defense. Listen, we've got your back. It's complete legal protection for armed self-defense, and it is fully endorsed by the NRA. It's fully backed by the NRA insurance program. Folks, you've got to have this coverage. I have the Cadillac protection, which is the ultimate coverage, and I'm telling you, it is phenomenal. People say, well, I, I've got homeowner's coverage. That'll protect me. I've got an umbrella policy, civil liability policy. No, no, it won't. In fact, it's specifically excluded. You say, well, I'll get a public, a public defender. They'll keep me out of jail. No, they won't. First of all, usually public defenders are from liberal colleges and liberal law schools. They hate guns. They hate people that carry guns. And they're, they don't understand uh, lethal force to start with. They're overworked. They're underpaid. Is that what you want to bet your freedom on? Is that what you want to bet your financial future on? 
That? Are you kidding me? 877-502-3300. Secondcalldefense.org. You want to give them this number, 20630. That's the Ninja Pastor's number. You give them that, they're going to give you a free month. Go to God and Country Facebook page. Uh, it's facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Uh, there's a place where you can sign up. You, you know, Sign up by the means of putting in your information for the show uh, to follow the show. But there's links on there. Once you do that or on that page, there's a link there. And that will show you exactly where to go. You click on that link, go get all kinds of information. There are no contracts. You're not locked in. And once you get your money back, your free uh, month back, they, they never come back and take it back. This is the best coverage out there. Trust me. I've researched it all. Join today. Welcome back to The Collision of Faith and Politics. Here again is Dr. Sean. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. We're so excited today to have Jim Simpson, author, speaker, uh, really a a, a big-time expert on this refugee resettlement. If you've been with us for the first segment, you know uh, your blood is probably boiling right now. Hey, Jim, we have a caller named sure. Ann. Uh, would yep. you mind talking with her? Absolutely. Awesome. Let's see what kind of questions she has. Hey, Ann, this is the Ninja Pastor, Dr. Sean. Uh, where are you calling from? South Carolina. Awesome. The great state of South Carolina. Beautiful place. Uh, home to my favorite city. So, uh, well, it kind of kind of my charleston is close to my favorite city i won't i won't give it my favorite but close to my favorite but uh wonderful place and wonderful people so what question do you have for mr jim simpson today jim doesn't love me anymore i want to know why (laughs) (laughs) look i'm not going to give y'all's love triangle that's not the way i do Jim, Jim, just last month we sat down, we ate together, we shared cocktails together, we we talked for a while, and you go back home and you forget me like that. I call you, invite <laughs> you back, and then you never call me back. This uh, is you know, Annie Bellis, by the way, folks. You know oh, yeah. What I had to do? I had to scrape <laughs> the bottom of the barrel for tomorrow's show, and I had to go over to um, <laughs> and get Robert Spencer from uh, Jihad Watch. So, you know, you wouldn't do it, so I had to go, you know, backup player. Jim, I can't believe that you I'm, put him in that position. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I have sinned. I am so grateful that God forgives me because I'm afraid Anne may never. But you know what? You need to check your email because I haven't gotten any emails from you. I'm feeling kind of rejected. See that? See that, Anne? That's how it works. Hey, Anne, why don't you tell folks who you are and then uh, and then because they I'm sure they want to get in on this a little bit. Uh, yeah, I've got a show here on uh, Blog Talk Radio uh, called Southern Sense. It's right now listed to 16 out of the top 100 conservative shows on toptalkradio.com. Jim's book is an absolute fantastic book. He sent it to me, and unfortunately it sat on the table. And Jim, you know I apologize for that. I was just so swamped. But what people don't see know who's is that... apologizing now. See, see that, Jim? <laughs> see that how this goes? <laughs> Two-way street. Okay, I'll take that. Uh, but the book that Red Green Axis, which is put out through the Center for Security Policy, is a must-read. Everyone should have this book. 
But, uh, Jim, did you tell them that you've gotten attacked by the ACLU because of this? No, I didn't. Have I? If yeah. I have, they, they haven't told me, or at least I haven't seen it. You know, I, I wouldn't pay attention if I did. But, but, uh, but you know, actually, the center has come under the um, um, spotlight of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Hmm. I'm sorry, Southern Poverty Law Center. I... Yeah, and I've written an article about that, which is being, um, it, it may be published shortly. It's it's, it's kind of blow them out of the water, if if it is. Hmm. Um, but they, I've already written an article, a long article, about Southern Poverty Law Center, its lifelong um, relationship with members of the American Communist Party, its um, lifelong effort to terrify people into giving it donations. It spends almost 50% of the annual revenues it takes in on uh, fundraising. It has over $300 million in assets, some of which is in untouchable offshore accounts out of the reach of law enforcement. We have no idea why they would do that. We don't know how much or we don't know why. They won't say. Um, But that is a sleazy, slimy... Uh, hate merchant. That's that's all they are. They they have mm. or they have institutionalized uh, Saul Alinsky's uh, attack methodology of uh, destroying your opponents through slander. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all well, they are. And thank you so much for calling in. We're so glad to have you. Um, and I'm going to let you go because we're going to get this thing rolling here. I've got a million questions. We're getting a lot of questions in. But thank you so much, folks. Southern let, Sense let me, Talk let, Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Hey, All right, I, Jim, we'll be talking. Yeah, we'll be talking again. And I'm coming down again in March for uh, Diane uh, Hardy's thing and also for Diane Belson's uh, Tea Party meeting in Greenville. Oh, uh, let me know. Uh, or and in then Lawrence, we'll rather. Yeah, I will, for sure. All right. Talk Go to ahead. You Take care. Thanks for excellent, calling. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Thank you for calling into the show today. So what a pleasure to have her. Hey, here's a question that I have, uh, and a lot of people are asking this question. It seems like a, a basic, basic question. But when when we talk about the cities where these people are going, you, you know, I know when I'm in New York City, uh, you know, the, the cab drivers are always from some other country. Uh, they don't. Uh, they don't really. You're, you're used to that. You're used to that. Yep. Right. So we're desensitized there. But what about these little places? These little places well, in Maine. Yeah. These little places yeah, yeah. in. Yeah. Come on. They, they people got to notice. A, a lot of people. A lot of. You know, once a person is, comes into the United States under the refugee program, they're a legal permanent resident. They can go live wherever they want. They, when they're placed, they are usually placed not in a big city, but in a small community. And frequently, they're placed in poorer small communities. For example, Lynn, Massachusetts, is number six uh, from the bottom in the list of uh, poverty in Massachusetts. It's it's the one of the lowest one of the poorest uh, communities in the state, yet they get 
more refugees than many states, I mean many cities, uh, uh, and a 2014 planning document that the mayor of Lynn, Massachusetts showed me, um, showed them receiving more refugees in 2014 than the city of Boston was going to get. Mm. And the reason is that the uh, refugee contractors, resettlement contractors, which are misnamed, by the way, voluntary agencies, and with the acronym VOLAGs, a uh, complete, completely fraudulent uh, name. They're not voluntary at all. There's nothing voluntary about them. Um, but they choose communities where, A, there's already an established um, refugee community of the you know, ethnic group they, uh, they see, they're seeking to resettle, and B, and probably maybe even more importantly, it already has well-established and extensive social welfare benefits available. And where is that? It's usually in poorer communities, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what that's that's part of their <clears throat> uh, uh, resettlement rubric. Uh, however, there's also indication that they are putting them in rural communities because they're trying to change the culture. And rural communities, as we know, um, fly over country, away from big cities, is really where people are more conservative. They're more down-to-earth. They're living by their hands. They're running businesses. And uh, they tend to be And and frankly, they're nice people. Jim, they're nice they're people. They're, they're, they're welcoming. True. They're loving. They you know, are. they they have the little church. You know, That's the true. several churches. They say, hey, you know, folks, we need to love Jesus. Several several uh, shows ago, and folks, if you go to the ninjapastor.com dot com or iTunes or wherever else my stuff, you'll see. I did a whole show on, you know, Christians where Christians really should stand on all of this, and I've got to tell you that, uh, folks, you know, you need to understand something here, that the whole meme of Christians should be welcoming, uh, just the name Christian World Service, right? Mm -hmm. How about the Hebrew one you talked to, Church World Service? Uh, How about the Hebrew one? The Hebrew Hebrew one, they're not even even a Jewish organization. and so they use these names to make them sound like churches and, you know, really good church folk. And, and when, in fact, the reality of it is, is they're just a business. And one thing yeah. I've said for the longest time is, you know what, you've got to hand it to the left. You have got to hand it to the left. You know, for somebody that's so anti-capitalism, they find a way to make a buck, don't they? They will find a way to make, make a buck, and, and that is the... Um, it's just the bottom line is, is is there's a lot of stuff going on that it would shock you, but these little tiny country towns, you know, these folks come in and there's, well, now we got to be kind to these folks. we got to be Jesus to them, so right. Right. we're going to love well, me, on them. Let me and speak help them to that. Let me speak to that because that's a, okay. also another critical issue. Uh, the, the, the Volags are using uh, religion as a way mm-hmm. to promote the notion of refugee resettlement, and they cite the um, biblical admonition to welcome the stranger. Now, of course, these are leftists. They probably have never read the Bible in their lives, so they don't have a clue what that really means, you know. 
it, it does not mean the United States of America opening its doors to the rest of the world for them to flood in with all their problems and and drown us, frankly, with their problems, which is what they are doing. That is not welcoming. Welcoming right. the stranger is something an individual Christian may adopt as an attitude towards someone, some individual that comes to his town or his, where he lives or his uh, place of work and adopt a welcoming attitude to that individual mm -hmm. to the extent you can. But what is the Great Commission for Christians? It's not welcoming immigrants. The Great Commission for Christians, what is it? Go into all the it's world. The, it's to bring converts to Jesus, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That's what the Great Commission is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Guess what? Invaders. Those voluntary agencies, those VOLAGs, those six uh, church-related organizations, Episcopal Migration Ministries, Conference of Catholic Bishops, Lutheran Immigration, Refugee Service, um, they are prohibited from proselytizing. Mm -hmm. So not only are they being dishonest and, and doctrinally incorrect by uh, attempting to manipulate Christians into buying into this resettlement agenda by saying mm -hmm. we have to be, quote, welcoming. Right. They're flat out lying when they say that their goal is to uh, create converts. And I have heard many of these people say that very thing. Our goal, look at this, is a great opportunity for Christians to uh, convert Muslims to the Christian faith. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Well, it would be a wonderful thing, but guess what? You can't do it if you are a government contractor. You are prohibited from doing that. And they don't do it, and they don't want to do it, and they don't care about it. All they care about is getting their contract money. They get the refugee flown into the United States. Uh, uh, they get and they get a little bit of premium by the way the refugee is supposed to pay his own way the united states government gives the refugee a loan to uh pay for his flight into the united states when the refugee pays it back uh, the uh volai gets to keep a percentage of the payback so mm -hmm. but but they reset they resettle them they get them set up with uh, <clears throat> with benefits and then they dump them flat, and the state and local government is left to pick up the tab for the um, cost of, of um, interpretation services, the cost of education, the cost of health care, and the unspecified but significant increases in costs of uh, law enforcement and uh, so, and 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 all of the other burdens that, that that they bring to a town, and the resettlement contractors are not merely looking to make money; they are looking to change the complexion of our nation, and they are changing it town by town, turning what were good, formerly decent, uh, <clears throat> safe, small communities into um, a hodgepodge of the third world uh, 
all of whom will vote Democrat when they get their uh, when they get their voting card five years after they've been residents. So, America, let me let me summarize this for you because this is really important that that we really get what's being said here. And this is Jim Simpson, folks. You couldn't ask for a better guest uh, to have on to talk about refugee resettlement and what a sham it is. So we're we're just gonna let me just run over this in case you're just joining us. So one of the things Jim has shared with us is is the money making scheme, and uh, I'd like to use a different word: the money making scam that the pretend churches and pretend religious organizations. He uses the term "volag." Uh, uses, you know, this is this is, you know, they love to use acronyms to cover up what they really are about. But they are their organization. They they make up a name that sounds like a church, but it's not really a church. And hey, we're all about helping people out in the name of Jesus. And you know, we're we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna love Jesus through loving these people. We're gonna show them the Lord. And then what happens? Then what happens? Here's what happens. You have these people come from predominantly Muslim organizations or Muslim countries, and they come over here, they immediately take advantage of the system and take money out of your pocket, quite frankly. You can you can say what you want to say about the jobs. Well, you know, Americans don't want to do those jobs. They just, you know, they want the $28 an hour job, so they're not willing to work for the $8.35 an hour job. So somebody's got to do it. We need cheap tomatoes, so why not? Well, if we want to believe that scam, that's one thing. But if you want to believe the other scam that, hey, we just want to love them, tell them about Jesus, bring them here, you know, bring them to Jesus. Well, we can't even, we're prohibited. These organizations, which aren't churches to start with, not that they would ever tell anybody about Jesus, but they're prohibited to even say anything about the Christian faith. Lord forbid they say anything about the Christian faith. Oh, no, can't do that. That's offensive to their faith. Um, so, so then they get here and they start taking in a lot of money. They're changing the the landscape, if you will, of small towns all across America. The people that are in the small towns, they're nice people. Usually it's country places. Country people, as I said, are nice people. They're loving. They have a bunch of little churches. Hey, let's get these folks in here. Let's love on them. And what happens? We say, hey, these people came here from Somalia. You know, it's not cold in Somalia, so we better get them some coats. Let's get these nice folks some coats. And they're darker skinned than us, and we don't want to be called racist, so we want to warm them up, get them some gloves, get them some hats, maybe some food. Let's do some food for them. Let's, and Thanksgiving, we got to be loving it. Thanksgiving, let's give them some turkeys, even though they're already getting all their food for free. And so they do that. These churches do that under the, under the thought that, hey, these are my friends. But most of them come from distinctly Muslim countries. And I'll tell you right now, Islam will lie. They'll do whatever they have to do in order to get over, in order to achieve their objectives. And folks, I don't think it could be argued any more vigorously that that we need to, as a country, as a citizenry, that's why I'm always talking about Center for Self-Governance. You know, it's applied civics. It's It's learning... The chains about our ankles, let's say we're the elephants, the chains that we could easily snap as elephants, we could easily snap these chains, are being controlled, we're being controlled by something way weaker than us. But we think, because we've believed for all this time, well, there's nothing you can do, right? And we're going to call you a racist because these dark-skinned people come over and you don't want them because you don't love Jesus, you're not good Christians, 
and you're racist. So, you know, there you have it. And so we back up on our heels, the Cloward and Piven, the Saul Alinsky methods that they use, which I've been preaching about for the the time that I've been on the radio, I've been saying it from the beginning. So we have Jim Simpson on here, and, and folks, like I said, you couldn't have a better guy for this. Let me let me just let's let's go to Syria. Let's go to Syria. Gosh, we feel bad. There's all these videos coming out, uh, this drone footage uh, from Syria. You know, everybody feels sad for Syria. This drone footage comes out and it shows just this massive devastation. The place is all bombed out, and um, you know, it's just uh, it's just a terrible situation. You know, we feel bad for them, and gosh, you know, we want to do something. We want to do something. And let's help these people. They're coming here. You know, they deserve our help. They've they've had such a hard time of it. So, as Christians, this is what we should do. This is our opportunity to help them. Bring them here. Because you know they're known to be great workers. Not known to be great workers. And they're going to come here to a country where, because of, of their their ideology, they can't assimilate into our society and uh, you know jim you've seen the video i'm sure you've seen more of it probably than i have they're mostly men 18 to 34 years old military age very physically fit and now europe has all this problem with uh european women getting raped Uh, murder rate is going through the roof they're they're going through entire neighborhoods and just tearing everything up ruining this society and folks, that's coming here. You need to understand, 2.9 million Syrians fleeing civil war there, allegedly. So we use this this flag, which, hey, let's face it, folks, the Syrian civil war is happening. That's a real thing. The Syrian civil war is a real thing. We know that it is, and so because we know that it is, we're going to have to just deal with that. Right? we got to deal with that. That's a reality. But here is the crazy thing. 14, on May 21st, 14 United States senators signed. These are people that represent you, America. They represent you. 14 United States senators signed a letter urging President Obama to expand the refugee program. And remember, Jim talked about this early in the interview. 65,000 Syrian refugees in the United States by the end of 2016. And they're going to increase the, the current 70,000 annual cap. They're going to do this. Well, these these 14 United States senators, why? Why would they do this? What do they gain? What's the advantage when we already can look at Europe and we can say, hey, this is wrecking Europe. What are we doing? Are we crazy? I mean, so what's in? the answer? Yo, Jim, I want you to weigh in. I've got, Grab the bat. Um, so, well... Like I say, there is so much misinformation about this whole issue going on, it, it's, it's hard to catalog it all. First of all, you have to look at the people flooding into Europe and the people that are going to be resettled in the United States as two distinctly different populations. People flooding into the Europe are 80% non-Christians. Okay, hmm. Most of them are non-Christians. Most of them are, as you said, males, and they are coming from all over the Middle East, Africa, uh, Afghanistan, and places like that, and they are either eth- ethnic, economic migrants 
or they are here for some other more malevolent purpose. Uh, I, I think it's a combination with a lot of them coming in here to to create problems. And so that's Europe. The people that we're going to resettle to the United States, at least supposedly, are people who have been in the refugee resettlement camps in Jordan, Lebanon, and Turkey for since 2012. And they have applied to um, the United... They have applied for refugee status, and the U.N., High Commissioner for Refugees looks over their applications. He makes up a list of those that he recommends, and that from that list, the State Department takes it, picks out the, a subset that it would like to look more closely at. They interview the people. They try to do a background investigation, um, and then they... Uh, after that process is done, takes a year and a half to two years, they are <clears throat> chosen and brought to the United States and resettled. Now, there's a couple of things wrong with that whole process. First, they claim that they these people are thoroughly vetted. It's false. They can't mm -hmm. be vetted because Syria is a failed state, and uh, <clears throat> there are no, uh, there is no way to. Um, to ascertain who these people really are. And the FBI director said that. The DHS director, Jay Johnson, has said that. The director of national intelligence has said that the possibility of ISIS coming in under our refugee program is a huge concern. Uh, so it, most people quote the FBI director, but most people don't know that all of the various security heads at one time or another said exactly the same thing. Uh, Jay Johnson, of course, has dialed that back now because his, uh, his boss wants to bring uh, these people in no matter what. But so um, the what we call the Jihad Caucus, the 12 senators that you referred to, were demanding 65,000. The U.N. High Commissioner for Refugees wanted Western nations – to resettle 130,000 refugees. And if you divide that by two, that's 65,000. That's where they got that number from. But they didn't get that number. The people who got that number was the Refugee Council USA. Guess who the Refugee Council USA is? Hmm. It is the lobbying arm for the FOLAGs, for the resettlement hmm. contractors. So hmm. the resettlement contractors are using American taxpayer dollars to pay this lobbyist to lobby the federal government, lobby the senators to bring in more refugees. That's really how it works. And so, so these uh, disgusting 12 Democratic senators immediately jumped on board. I'm sure there was some kind of quid pro quo, and they started screaming for 65,000 uh, Syrians. The Volags, in the meantime, have actually been lobbying for between 100 and 200,000. Hebrew Immigrant and Aid Society, which refuses to use the word Hebrew anymore because it, they say that it's exclusionary and elitist, um, hmm. they just go by their acronym HIAS anymore. They've given up on the whole idea that they have anything to do with the Hebrew religion, and they bring in 
tons of Muslims, and they're all about bringing in Muslims. Uh, any Jewish person who supports the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society should find that out and should be horrified to know of the attitude these people have. It, it, it's absolutely a shocking attitude they have. But anyway, they've been lobbying for between 100 and 200,000 uh, Syrian refugees. Now, in the <clears throat> caps that Obama announced uh, this year or last year, uh, re-increasing the caps from 70 to 80, 85,000, among those caps, he said he was only going to resettle 10,000 Syrians in 2016, and then he was going to raise the cap to 100,000, and of that, in, bring in another 30,000 Syrian refugees. So his goal, so he claims, is 40,000 Syrians over two years. Doesn't give the Volags what they want, doesn't give the Jihad Caucus what it wants, but it sure as heck brings in a lot of Syrians, and you can be sure 1% to 2% of those are going to be terrorists, just as they are in Europe. However, here's the biggest bit of disinformation. Between 2012, when this war started, and 2015, guess how many Syrians have already immigrated to the United States under different programs? Lay it on us. 100,000. Wow, that hurt me in my chest. That already, got me right in the chest. Over a hundred, a hundred and two thousand already, and the Volags want are demanding between a hundred and two hundred thousand more. Guess why? Not because they haven't gotten their goal, but because these people came in through immigration programs where they didn't need to be resettled. So the resettlement oh. contractors don't get their five thousand dollars ahead. Right, we missed out on our money. So we missed out on our money, so they're screaming about it. And they're screaming, you know, bringing in another 100,000 or, or so, that will essentially double double the, um, the, 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 the receipts, the budget for um, uh, resettling refugees. It'll go from 2 billion to 3 to 4 billion. And guess what the Republican Congress has accommodated them? With they've accommodated them by raising the uh, the the uh, HHS budget so that they can bring in more mm. refugees. So we're being betrayed by both Democrats and Republicans. Uh, it's pretty outrageous, and even that is not the entire story because Obama says that not only will he bring in ten thousand this year and 30,000 next year, that's just the refugee resettlement program. There's also asylum, which is not refugee resettlement. There is also something called temporary protected status, and Syria was, um, uh, was defined as a temporary protected status state in 2012. Um, there is something called humanitarian parole, uh, where uh, it's supposed to apply to individuals, but Obama has turned uh, parole into entire immigration program. It used to be just a special situation, very unique for, for you know, single cases, single families, single individuals who really needed to just 
be granted immediate access to the United States. Now, Obama has created a parole program for Central American minors, Haitian family reunification, uh, advanced parole for DACA recipients, you know, uh, delayed uh, action for child uh, aliens, uh, parole for Russian and Chinese tourists. How do you like that? Get Russian hmm. and Chinese tourists to come in. They can stay. Parole for entrepreneurs. That's from our enemy communist countries, folks. Parole for entrepreneurs from other countries. Parole for Filipino caregivers of elderly family members. How do you like that? So if uh, so, if some elderly Filipinos or elderly folks uh, bring a Filipino in to uh, uh, to to give them to to, to help them, uh, they can get parole and become U.S. citizens. That's Jim, let me ask night. you this. Let me ask you this. Just because I'm I don't have enough angina as it is. DHS State Department Refugee Processing Center, that's a source for something you cite. You say there additionally are there are special programs for Cubans and Haitians that allow about 20,000 per year to emigrate yeah. to the United States with the same yeah. benefits awarded to refugees and asylees. There's yeah. even a Rainbow Welcome initiative oh, yeah. oh, that yeah. funds a nonprofit contractor, the Heartland Alliance International LLC, right. to meet right. the special needs of lesbian, gay, bisexual, right. and transgendered refugees and asylees. What? And all those special needs. Gotta gotta save the world here, folks. All on your tax dollars. It's so nice to to be a liberal and and be so generous with other people's money, isn't it? You know, that's the thing. That's what we we have to figure out here. Uh, it seems so big. It seems too much to to overcome, doesn't it? It seems. Overwhelming, and that is the Saul Alinsky Cloward Piven message: is, it is make it so big that no one will be able to conceive the notion of gaining background that we've taken. And here's the thing: you can't eat an elephant all in one bite. You got to take it bite by bite. And so we've got to start somewhere. We've got to start somewhere at beating this back. So, Jim, where do you think we should start as a nation of constituents, as a nation of citizens and voters and patriots? Where do we start? Where does where do we start? Where do we get started in this to make a difference to fix some stuff? Because well, I'm starting to feel the burn, and yeah. and the burn I'm feeling is the burn in my gut. Because you know a guy like Bernie Sanders, or or uh, Hillary Clinton, she gets yeah. into office, or or, or Bernie Sanders. Gets, We're done. Can you imagine how it's then? We're done. We're done. So so how do we? What do we do? Where do we start? Well. We have to be honest and realize that we are only going to make marginal progress until this uh, treasonous person that some people call president uh, is done with his done all the destruction he can do, and he's out of here at the end of uh, the end of this year. Um, we have to make sure that the person that we elect to take his place as a person that is going to roll a lot of his damage back. I don't know that anybody can roll it all back, but they could but but that's where it has to start. And the important thing to know about that is that um <clears throat> you know, for example, uh you know, uh California just signed a law allowing illegal aliens to vote. Mm. 
uh, a lot of states, or not a lot of states, but a lot of municipalities, especially the sanctuary city municipalities, are um, trying to create local ordinances that will allow illegal aliens to vote. Not only that, but in some cases, right here in Maryland, in Montgomery County, they're trying to uh, change the Constitution to allow children 16 and over to vote. And that is even more pernicious than it sounds, because not only would they be allowing very impressionable easy to manipulate basically kids to vote and of course they're going to vote mostly the way the Democrats want them to vote because the Democrats are the only ones unscrupulous enough to uh, do that and unscrupulous enough to manipulate them into into voting for them after making making it legal for them to vote but we have to remember that Obama um, agitated and provoked and created the uh, massive Central American minor migration into the United States from 2012 forward, um, and not merely by creating DACA, but by sending all kinds of messages to people in Central America that they could come here and they would be not thrown out, rather, but be rewarded. Um, Most of those kids were not kids. They were young teenagers between 15, 17, 18 years old. So if those kids get amnesty or if a locality passes an ordinance allowing 16-year-olds to vote in local elections, that will greatly increase the prospects for Democrats. And you can't tell me that a location that is willing to pass a law like that is going to be paying attention when that illegal alien goes in and votes in statewide and even national elections. So so we really it's really important for us to get on board with um uh working on you know go to true the vote become involved in in stopping vote fraud uh um become a, a poll judge become a poll watcher uh the most important thing to do is to get people you know who aren't registered to vote registered, and Christians better not sit this one out. They better, better vote, because it's Christians who gave us Obama in the first place. It's Christians who kept Obama in office in 2012, and Christians have to pull us out by voting. They had voted in those last two elections. We wouldn't be facing the disastrous consequences we are now, and so we all get have to get on board with that. Now, after that, I would say that there's you can go to the Center for Security Policy website and look up their refugee activism page, and you can sign up for that, 
and actually participate. There's a nationwide uh, organization that is growing that um, <clears throat> that uh, is uh, taking uh, this refugee activism battle to the state houses and to Congress, to the U.S. Senate, and they are making uh, they are making waves. They are having an impact, uh, and legislation is being proposed, and things are being passed. So uh, those are some of the things that you can do. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I tell you another thing that I, you know, I'm very involved with the the Center for Self Governance, and and one of the things uh-huh. that we really we really nail down, and and uh, as I've gone through the program, is is this, and and I think it's very very important. People think that we only, you know, gosh, I'm a good American. I I study up on the issues. I watch all the debates, uh, the presidential debates every four years, and you know what? I'm really plugged in. I'm a good American. This is what I do. But you know what? Look, if, if that's when you oh, it's not enough. It's not enough because you know who's doing all of these refugee resettlement programs and who's who's working it out where it's going to happen in your town, your county, your city. It's it's the people at lower levels of government who hey buddy, we want to bring uh, I don't know five thousand people here, and you know what we're going to do. Uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna help your community bring, but but you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna make a big contribution to your campaign. That's what we're gonna do. Big contribution to your campaign because we want good things for you. And you know what? We're gonna do that. So you need to be with us on this. But you know what? It's just like I say with the Lavoy Finicum. Lavoy Finicum would have never been killed out there in Oregon on a lonely, desolate road, ambushed on a lonely, desolate road. He never would have been killed. There would have been no dispute as to whether he had his hands up, whether he was reaching in his pocket, whether he was told to reach, none of that stuff, if there would have been a thousand other American patriots with him. The, the, whoever shot him would have never done that. Would, this would have never come to this place if truly there would have been thousands and thousands of people there. But you know what the problem is? And Jim, I'm sure you run up against this all the time. You give great speeches all across the country. Uh, you uh, and it's the same thing I run across. Is I tell people, look, you know, you look at your department of the, the treasury at your state, and you say, who's running for state treasurer? I, well, I don't know. I don't know who that is. And you say, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just the treasurer. Yeah, the guy who determines how you spend your money, how you pay your bills, how the taxes are extracted from. Your checks on a state level, yeah, that's not very important, is it? It's not a big deal. That's not a big deal. Why would anybody care about that? And then guess what happens? Those guys or those ladies, they run for higher levels of office. And they become, like in the state of Delaware, uh, Governor Markell, that's what he did. That's what he was. State treasurer, man. He, hey, he got elected easily. Nobody really fought him. Nobody right. really saw him on the landscape. He's a super rich guy. And he's, he said, here I am, the governor. And guess what we're going to do? We're going to do all these refugee programs. And I'm part of a, a group uh, that is fighting that in the state of Delaware. But the interesting thing is the Center for Self-Governance, what we teach people how to do, and what I'm learning as a, a student of the Center for Self-Governance, is we've got to be mutually pledged, not to just the issue, although this is, look, this issue is going to crush it. You think Mexico is an issue? You think that's going to crush us? No way. Nowhere close. Because we're flying these people in, and we're paying to bring them here. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, that's right. And, 
You know, we're mainlining them. It's like heroin into the big vein, the big artery. We're pumping it in with this big needle. And you know what? I'm I'm going to tell you right now, America, but you've got to get plugged in. If you're not plugged in, Jim just said it. Hey, we lose this time. American Christians, I'm talking to you. You sit on the sidelines again, and I run across this. I don't have that big of a reach. Uh, the publicists say I reach about 600 to 700,000 people a week. It's not huge. I'm no Hannity or Beck or any of those people. But the bottom line is, I, I say this to my whole reach. I say, look, you sit on the sidelines again, and we're done. It's over. It's over. Well, I'm not going to hold my nose when I vote again. Well, you know what? You better hold your ankles. You better bend over and hold your ankles because that's what's coming for you. Yep. Because it's 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 over for us as a nation if we don't win. And you know what? Once right. we win, if we do win, that's when citizen patriots got to stay involved. Not just get involved, but stay involved. Stay yep. in their faces. Yep. That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. When I ask people all across the country, hey, uh, you know, how did your guy vote on that? Oh, I don't know. You don't know? How do you mean you don't know? I don't know. I, I don't know how he voted. I, I assume he did what we wanted him to do. I assume he did the the conservative thing. I assume he did the right thing. Well, shouldn't you know? Isn't this a big thing? Isn't Aren't these people coming into your community? Shouldn't you know this? Isn't this something you should know beyond a shadow of a doubt? Well, I don't know. How do I know? Well, you go on a website. You punch in their name, and you punch in the bill number, and guess what happens? Boom! Shows you. Yes. Great, great gov. Great gov, my friend Elizabeth Letsworth. Great site. You can find out how every single person votes. Do, to do some homework. My land. Yes. Do some homework. Yep. So, Jim, well, it's been a pleasure to have you today. Great to be with you. Yep. Oh, man. Pleasure is mine. I hope you'll consider coming on again. And uh, I've enjoyed reading your stuff. I'm going to continue reading it, and I'll have to get some... Uh, some Pepto or some other sort of angina <laughs> pills because it just makes me matter and matter as every little oh, yeah. bit that I read. Yep. Well, where Alrighty. can folks read more about what you do? I want you to have the opportunity to say where they can read, read and learn more well, about what you. Well, you know, they should get my book, The Red Green Axis. Uh, it's at Amazon. You can get it either in Kindle or in print form. It's inexpensive. It's a short read, only 70 pages or 60-something pages. And uh, it's one of the top sellers in its category on Amazon. And um, uh, everybody should have it tells you everything you need to know to understand what the refugee resettlement agenda really is. Uh, It originated with the United Nations. It did not originate in uh, Teddy Kennedy's tiny mind. He just turned it to uh, good use for the Democrats. But um, it, it originated in the U.N., and I explained how, how the hows and whys and wherefores of that. And, um, and the U.N. resettles or chooses almost all of our refugees today. There are just so many things to know about this program, so that's a great place to start. I uh, do not have a website right now. I used to write for examiner.com. Uh, I still have a bunch of posts up there. You need to search for me because the URL is too complicated to repeat. Uh, I also write for American Thinker. I've put stuff on. I uh, used to write for Breitbart. Uh, I write for Capital Research Center. Uh, rotten. Uh, Google my name and, and lots of stuff pops up. Oh, yeah. But most of it good, I hope, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Why not? <laughs> anyway. We'll assume that. Well, listen, I want to, while you're still on the line, I want to give props to, uh, hat tip to Jeff Baird of 
Right Side News. He was the one that turned me on to you, and I tell you what, I'm really thankful for that because you've provided extremely valuable information that not just from here, this is a seed. You've planted a seed for my audience to uh, to, to really dig down uh, a, lot, a whole lot deeper into this, a whole lot deeper into this. And you've got to, folks. You can't just hear this and go, well, boy, that was upsetting. Let me go get some fried chicken. Um, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, you, there, we got to do something. If we don't do something, uh, we're falling away as a country. Well, listen, I've enjoyed having you. I look forward to chatting with you again. And I know our audience has really enjoyed having you. Well, I don't know if enjoyed is, is probably the right word because they're probably all banging their steering wheels right now. Right, right. And, uh, but the bottom line is this is all information that we need. So, Jim Simpson, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll look forward to having you on again. All the best to you. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Take care now. Bye-bye. So there you have it, America. There you have it. There you have it. How, uh, how upset are you? right now how upset are you you ought to be fuming you ought to be just fired up you ought to be beside yourself and here's what i'm going to tell you you know he said it jim said this uh and i think this is very very important to uh really highlight here jim said this and i and and i and i'm you know, I said it, what did I say it, last week, the week before, the week before that, the week before that, and every week before that, since I've been traveling around the country and speaking and this, uh, this, this radio, doing this radio program, folks, Christians, I'm talking to you, Christians, you tell me you're going to sit at home, you're not going to do it, I'm telling you right now, you are going to handle, you're going to hand the demise, and you've got your hand on the handle of the dump button. For this country, you say, "Well, that's not fair." You know, I've voted in plenty of elections, and I and I've I've had to pull the lever while while pulling the lever with one hand and uh, and pinching my nose to keep the stench out of my face with the other. And I'm tired of it, and I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. Well, here's what's at stake, folks. Here's what's at stake. You say that till you're blue in the face, and hey, you know what? I got to respect you. I got to respect you because you're you're a citizen. And everybody can do or not do what they don't want to do in this country. Now, notice I called you a citizen, but I didn't call you a good citizen. Because you know what? There's a big difference between a citizen and a good citizen. A big difference. And you know what that difference is? The good citizen says, the good citizen says, you know what? I, I'm, look, I can't do everything. Like Reagan said, you know, everybody can't do, people can't do everything, but everybody can do something. And you know what? You If you want to be a good citizen, if you want to be worth your weight, look, I say this all the time, and I mean it, and in my speeches I usually close with this. I say, look, look toward Arlington, Virginia. Look toward the cemeteries all across America where they have a military designation and a killed in action date, birth date and killed in action date. And those people died for our freedom. Those people died for our liberty. And I ask, I always ask this question, are you worth their sacrifice? How in the world can you go and do what you do, and in good faith you don't stand for what's right? You don't fight these things that are clearly and obviously wrong. You say, well, it's too much. I don't, I've got to work. I've got stuff to do. 
I, I don't. How am I going to have time to do all this? I'm a busy person. Specifically, Christians. I, I'm. I'm telling you right now, Christians. Uh, I, I dealt with one who I dearly love today. Great guy, really great guy, but very misinformed about one of the candidates. I'll just say his name. You know, I'm supporting him, Ted Cruz. All this crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. And he fully believes it. Here's the thing. You've got to get invested, Christians. You've got to get invested. And liberal Jews, and there's lots of them out there, they're non-religious. People say, how can the Jews help the the uh, the Muslims? Well, because there's a, two different types of Jews. There's the, there's just I was born a Jew, and then there's the there's the you know full on uh, Orthodox or observant Jew, practicing or Messianic Jew, and they get it, they understand. But folks, I'm here to tell you, you sit on the sidelines, and it's over. As America's we know it is over. And I'm not saying that you're going to pay a little bit more for gas if we lose. I'm not saying you're going to pay a little bit more in taxes if you lose. I'm not saying your pocketbook is going to hurt. I'm saying this, your daughters and your sons won't be safe on the streets. Look around Europe. European daughters and sons no longer safe on the streets. No longer safe. Why? (coughs) Because Angela Merkel. Wow, this would be a great thing. Let's get all these people to come. And she did. And the UN is calling the shots. Christians, you have to stand up. You have to get engaged. You have to become a million happy warriors. Hashtag million happy warriors. You've got to get plugged in. You've got to say, hey, not on my watch. Not on my watch. I'm not standing by and letting our country fall away. I firmly believe this is a gift from God. Freedom and liberty, a gift from from God himself. This is an experiment. You know what? We don't want anyone to say, not on our watch, that this has been a failed experiment. Because you know what? It wasn't a failed experiment. We failed the experiment. The experiment didn't fail. We failed it. We failed our founder's vision and goal. We failed the gift that God gave us. And you know what else? We fail each other. Die on your feet. Don't live on your knees. As my friend Steve from Ohio says, Folks, this is serious business. You know what's going to happen? Your kids will not know what freedom is. Your kids that sit for hours and hours and hours a day in a dark room playing some sort of video game, soft as they are, they won't know how to fight. They don't know they don't know how to put air in their tires in the car. They don't know how to where the oil goes. They don't know where the gas goes just about. And you think they're going to know how to fight to save you? To save themselves? To save their future children? No. It's all going to be over if you don't get plugged in. Listen, go to theninjapastor.com. If you believe in what we do, donate. We'd love to see that. We put it right back into the program. Join us again. Coming up on Sunday, we're going to have a heck of a message. I'm looking forward to giving it to you. It's all about worship. Thank you, folks. God bless you. God bless America. Join us next time for The Collision of Faith and Politics.
And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at the ninja pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio and at www.drseangreener.com. In the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining in this fight.